Bubbles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with a special guest today, Gil Tal. I'm going to let Gil talk to you about his um, accolades and things of this nature because I could probably not do it service. So, Gil, take it away. All right, Paul. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Really appreciate it. I know we've got a lot to talk about. It's an area that you and I are both passionate about. Um, so, my background essentially is uh, from from a uh, sports perspective. I, um, I'm an entrepreneur of a couple of gyms, and um, I run. I'm a director of a men's health medical clinic, where we treat um, men's sexual health dysfunctions and uh, hormonal replacement therapy uh, for various different reasons, partly aging and, and partly just uh, you know. Uh, guys that have had certain injuries or predisposition to uh, imbalances in their hormone levels. And then I also have a, uh, a company where I do coaching for people on a high level. And what I mean by that, it is not really for the masses. It is more for the people who are extremely dedicated in a body recomposition. It's not only competitive athletes or bodybuilders, although there are some. It is uh, any, any person who wants to prioritize their goals into recomposition and it takes them all the way from the training to the nutrition to the biochemistry so it's a full scientific package and for that reason most people who are just curious would fail but those who are fully dedicated generally have really good results um, so that is a passion of mine as you could tell because all three of those endeavors encompass the health wellness fitness and full scientific package of what it takes and you know as well as anyone that um, you can't leave any of those out, okay? A lot of times people say, well, I train really hard. Then they go out, they grab a, a, a couple slices of pizza or a baked ziti, and they don't understand why they're spinning a hamster wheel and they look the same year after year. Then you've got the people who use my pet peeve and they say, I eat clean or I eat healthy. Uh, but that doesn't really mean anything scientifically. So my goal is to try to educate them rather than just guide them and tell them, look, do this, this, and that. Don't ask why, just do it. I don't like that. I like to make people independent over the course of the weeks so that I can kind of cut the leash, set them free, and have them continue to lead a lifestyle uh, that's conducive to their goals. Um, outside of that, I'm also a competitive uh, men's physique athlete. I compete in the NPC with the goals of obtaining a pro card one day. I had a, a run at it this year. Um, just two weeks ago, I was at the uh, national championships, placed ninth. Um, in the country, uh, you got to be top two in order to qualify pro. No big deal. Going to go back to the drawing board, uh, fix what I have to fix, come back next year. Last year, I took uh, three first place finishes in my state in New Jersey. This year, I took a two second place finishes in New York. Uh, and I am I am over 40, so I compete in the Masters division. And um, you know, it's fun. It's that's more of a hobby, obviously, than a business because you don't get paid to compete. There's no money in the sport. Uh, but it does keep you on track, keeps you honest to your goals, and uh, kind of puts an expiration date on when you have to be in shape, which uh, doesn't really allow you to mess around too much. So that that's a good transition into what I want to talk about for um, the first phase of, of the conversation that we'll have. And so can you describe a little bit the difference between physique and bodybuilding? Because we talked a little bit off camera of bodybuilders with really super high testosterone levels because they're aided. And just to be perfectly blunt here, um, we're going to have a discussion about PEDs, what is useful. Um, I'm very interested in your views on, on injuries, like you said, uh, age, right, um, and, and hormone replacement in that regard. But can you just give us an overview of the difference between physique, right, and maybe the relationship between more IGF-1 type stuff rather than, you know, more of a, you know, testosterone-based thing? Okay. So I'll talk about the PD aspect after. Let me explain to you the difference in the two categories, all right? Bodybuilding is traditional. Everybody remembers Arnold and Frank Zane and, you know, Lou Ferrigno and all the guys in the 70s who were the greatest bodybuilders of all time. Um, those guys, back in their day, they were considered, considered massive. This was not an era where people used to go to the gym. It was kind of like if you went to the gym, if you lifted weights, you're a bodybuilder, and then there's everybody else. 
So people maybe played you know, baseball, football, soccer, et cetera, basketball, led an active lifestyle, but they were not necessarily into bodybuilding or weightlifting. Today, it's very different. I mean, I don't know a single person who you walk to in a mall and point at and say, you have a gym membership. And they'd say, no, I would say probably 75, 80% of the population belong to a gym, whether they use it or not is another story. But people feel that they should exercise, they should do some level of training. So that whole thing has changed dramatically. But back in those days, those guys were what today is known as classic physique. They had the narrow waists, they had good definition, but not overly dry. And they had very good size, symmetry, and proportion. So it was all about the overall look. Now, that category is kind of split both ways. It went one side to the open bodybuilding, which is what we know today is, is just bodybuilding. Internally, we call it open bodybuilding. And then on the other side, you have the physique class or the men's physique. And that is more of like that GQ, men's health, fitness model look, um, like, a, like a beach body, you know, like a surfing boy type look, but with a little more muscle. Um, so think of it this way, a little off track, but kind of related. Porsche was on the verge of going out of business in the 90s because not enough people were buying a 911, a 100,000 plus dollar car, and it was essentially the only model they made. They came out with the Boxster and it saved the company once Volkswagen bought them. They came out with the Boxster, it was like a $45,000 car and everybody wanted the Porsche name. So they got involved in the brand and started to buy this and generated a lot of money for them and they then came out with the Cayenne, which is the SUV, right? So now they became like a well-rounded car manufacturer. The 911 is their staple, but it wasn't enough to sustain the company. Bodybuilding is no different. How many people can look like Phil Heath, Jay Cutler, Ronnie Coleman, right? These guys today. It's a combination of freakish genetics, immense amount of commitment, dedication, food, uh, yes, PDs, all this other stuff, but it's essentially a dedicated lifestyle that very few people can adhere to as well as have the genetic potential. So with that, the sport of bodybuilding on its own was dying. You get to a point where you have like the top eight or 10 guys in the world and like everyone else shouldn't even be on stage. And you can't sustain a business or a sport around the same group of small people. So they said, well, if we introduce all these other classes, we're gonna open it up to the masses, sort of like Porsche did with the lower end vehicle that allowed more people to get involved. Today, when you had back then just men's bodybuilding, women's bodybuilding, especially women, not a hand, you know, not a lot of women can get into those proportions, nor did they want to, per se. Um, they opened up women's figure and women's bikini. Now, when you go to these shows and you go backstage, the bodybuilding classes and the women's physique, as they call it now, which replaced bodybuilding, there's only a handful. I mean, you could count on two hands how many competitors you have in those classes. The money for that organization and the sport comes from the men's physique, my category, and the women's bikini, because that is what they consider sort of the entry level into the sport. It is a lot easier for an average man, and I'm not saying it easier downplaying it, a lot easier for the average man with, you know, three to five years of proper training, dedication, commitment, and doing things the right way to look like me than it is to look like Ronnie Coleman, which will never happen. So a lot more guys are getting involved in the men's physique. And then from there, as they start to grow, if they want to transition, they move into classic, which is the category that would be where Arnold was today. Women always start in the bikini, and a lot of people just have that bucket list, hey, I'm going to go and compete once, just to say I did it, right? Just to say fulfillment, I want to get those stage photos, I want to get a medal, whatever. So the women will go into the bikini where they don't really need a whole lot of muscle. They just need to be kind of lean and symmetrical and understand posing. So those kind of entry-level classes help the sport sustain and feed itself and have the financial backing that's required because you're going to get hundreds of competitors in those classes. You may only get a dozen in the open class. So that's so really I, the difference. Yeah, I think that's a, a great introduction. It's kind of interesting because I was talking to my daughter you know, and the internet gets kind of this bad rap for a lot of things and, and well-deserved, right? But um, one of the things that she said to me is that I was talking to her about a lot of women that are competing in CrossFit events now, and I was, you know, I was saying to her um, that 10 years ago, that did not exist, right? 10 years ago, there was not that amount of women lifting weights and things of this nature. And in my mind, I was like, well, CrossFit had a big effect on that. And she said that she thought Instagram had a bigger effect on it because 
there's a few things about Instagram that are interesting. It's very difficult to put an Instagram picture of, of you running, right? Or a video of, of you running. But it's much more common to have a workout video where a woman is lifting weights or something of this nature. And so it really, it really introduced a lot of women, you know, Facebook and Instagram, to the fact that lifting weights is not going to make you you know, it's going to just enhance a feminine physique in most instances. So I thought that was interesting. So let's kind of transition to, um, you know, we don't have to go crazy into the PVP talk, but I think this does, you know, translate to your real life work, right? To what you do every single day. And I think that it can be useful. Like one of the things that occurs to me as a 50 year old man who got into fitness late, right? Yes, fitness and health are priorities into my life now. But let's be real, you know, I'm playing a game of catch up, right? Because being unfit, exercise was not a priority in my life. You know, I think it was interesting what you said about people having gym memberships because I think that actually skews lower that as the young people, they're much more common to have a gym membership than I was when I was 25. Right. And I think that once again, that's the influence of social media. And so what I, what I kind of want to get into are the differences between Ronnie Coleman and the differences between the people that you compete with, because I think that they're, you know, even though I don't personally partake, I don't have anything against it. There's no reason why I wouldn't um, if I had a reason to do so. I definitely know of examples where guys are on TRT, um, testosterone replacement therapy, and it's really allowed them to get to a level of fitness that keeps them motivated. And if you're motivated to go to the gym, I think that's a big thing. So talk a little bit about that and talk about it from the competitor standpoint, but also from the standpoint of going to the gym. So you want me to to touch on the actual generational gap of gym memberships or or get into the whole TRT thing? Yeah, so I want to get into TRT and the difference between TRT and, and what is the upper level of bodybuilding. Okay, so you have to preface any TRT discussion with what it is, why it's important, and essentially people need to understand because when I go into these forums that are bodybuilding slash performance based, and this is where guys are talking strictly PED protocols and you know a lot of a lot of uh, stuff like that that is not medical, but it is more so. I guess you would consider the medical community call it abuse, right? Essentially, anything. Any, anytime you're using a medication outside of the realm of your prescription, you're essentially abusing it. It'd be no different than having a beer or then drinking whole, you know, three bottles of vodka. Okay, so there's a safe way and then there's an abusive way. It doesn't make the compound bad. Okay, no one's going to tell you having a glass of wine on a Friday night once a week is going to kill you or bad for you. No one would bat an eye. But if you told them I'm an alcoholic and I have two bottles a day, they're going to look at you different. Problem is, when it comes to hormones, people like to bottle that all up together. If you're taking any sort of hormone at any level at any dose, it's a combination of media bias, um, you know, social stigmas and whatnot. The people automatically couple you in with, well, you're a junkie, you're, 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 you're a steroid user, you can see that. Well, it's not. This is medicine. So TRT is basically testosterone replacement therapy. Now, the word replacement is really important in there. Why? Because what is it? you're replacing you're replacing what your body no longer does for you no one is going to look at a woman who's taking a birth control pill which is essentially a sex hormone it's a steroid female steroid it's estrogen right and no one's going to tell her you know you're you're cheating or you're taking hormones or this okay it's, it's very common it's very easy to get when women hit menopause usually a very quick phase maybe a year or two they go through their symptom and then it's an on off switch they essentially shut down their estrogen production and it goes down significantly. And they know when it's coming, they feel it, they stick it, they know the sides, and then it's over. Well, men had andropos, and it's very rarely talked about because it's not macho and it's not manly to admit that you are becoming less of a man than you used to be. 
Now that usually begins again, and this is just generalizing in the early thirties. Some guys we've had patients at the clinic that are in their late twenties. Okay. Some have injuries or pituitary adenomas, or maybe they had a brain injury or football injuries or whatnot. So that's, you know, secondary hypogonadism is when your brain or your pituitary gland doesn't function properly. And then you have your primary hypogonadism, and that's when the testicles fail. And that's usually due to aging, uh, but oftentimes it's also due to injury. It could be opioid abuse, it could be alcohol, it could be many different things. So in short, when men begin their andropause process in their early 30s, generally they'll start to lose their testosterone levels, which is essentially the hormone responsible for making a man a man as opposed to a woman. Okay, it's an androgenic hormone. And it gives us some muscle mass, the ability to carry less fat, bone mineral density. Right? Men have stronger bones than women in general. Um, it gives us a lot of the things that are known to be, you know, benefits of being a man. And when you lose that, um, your emotion, and your body composition, your energy, and your motivation, and cognitive thinking, and all these nice benefits that young men get to enjoy start to go down. And usually men in their 30s and 40s, I want to write that off the stress, um, you know, lifestyle, uh, you know, my, my job, my, my lack of sleep. You know, they, they'll, they'll make every excuse in the book, but they'll never point at themselves and say, look, I'm aging. And instead of going out there and asking for help or seeking treatment from someone who understands how to do this correctly, they'll just say, ah, I don't need anything. Their sex drive or libido will start to decline. Yeah. So you're basically describing me, right? So at 30, and and I, I talk about this a lot, that you know, once I got to 185, I was like, wow, you know, this is this is something I gotta work on. And I was feeling symptoms of what you were talking about. My lifestyle was not phenomenal at that point. Fitness was not a thing. Um and so that that was the first start of any kind of dieting. And then that just sort of led me to a path where I was doing a lot of uninformed type stuff. And, and one of the things that I talk about a lot, you know, in kind of the discovery of, of what ultimately became me to perform is that most of that was a distraction, right? Whether it be low carb, whether it be fasting, whether it be Weight Watchers or, or whatever kind of the mainstream stuff was, there was this give me, you know, a path to health, which I thought was less weight at that point, which is ironic because right now I weigh 185, right? And I have 40, 45 pounds more muscle than I had previously, right? Because and, and my body just responds to all of that difference. So I just wanted to, to kind of mention that. One of the things that I think is really interesting in, in the discussion that, that you're bringing that never gets focused on enough and never gets focused on enough when people are constantly dieting um, is aging. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that's a big thing in the TRT world. Yeah, age-related hormone imbalances, okay? They lead to a lot of age-related diseases, sarcopenia being one that is age-related muscle loss, okay? Dementia and Alzheimer's, recent studies have linked those to a lowered level of testosterone. Uh, cardiac events, MIs, strokes, okay? Um, plaque buildup, lipid profile changes, okay? Again, when you're looking at abusive doses outside of the realm of medicine, then the drug becomes harmful. Look, if you have a headache and you take two Tylenol, nothing is going to happen other than your headache is going to go away. But that doesn't mean you take a whole bottle of Tylenol in the hopes of not having a headache for the next six months, right? Bad things are going to happen. You're probably going to die if you do that, okay, from toxicity. So at the end of the day, using medication to replace what you've lost, bring yourself to optimal but physiological levels, and that's the key. We're not going into super physiological ranges. We're not taking you and making you RoboCop. We're bringing you back to where you were 15 or 20 years ago. And then we're hitting that pause button so that you can enjoy your remaining years feeling like you did when you were younger and giving you the pathological benefits that you had at that time, which is the ability to recover from your workouts, increase sex drive, increase motivation, cognitive thinking, concentration, better sleep, bone mineral density. It is heart protective. Okay, in men, testosterone converts over to estrogen in a process called aromatization. 
Ideally, we try to balance out roughly 3% of total testosterone into what's called beta estradiol or E2. And that is something that is really important in men. Estrogen is always thought of in bodybuilding as the enemy. Guys take all these estrogen blockers like anastrozole or, um, or aromasin or Novadex, which is a serum. They try to block their estrogen thinking, oh, I'm going to retain water. It's bad. I'm going to get gynecomastia. And that's not the case. It is a balance of androgens to estrogens. In women, it is quite opposite. In men, you still want to have that ratio in there. There's a reason women get a lot less heart attacks than men, because their estrogen levels are elevated. And estrogen is very heart protectant when it's in a healthy range. And when men crush their estrogen, they're going to have erectile dysfunction. They're going to have joint pain because synovial fluid in your joints is supported by aldosterone and sodium uptake. And then lower estrogen level promotes dryness, okay? So again, this is where it differs. When you go into a bodybuilding show and you have to come in dry and lean and grainy, remember that's one day for 30 seconds where you're gonna be up on stage and that's it. You're, you're essentially looking your best, but you're in the most unhealthy state possible because you're crushing your hormone levels down to nothing so that you could drain all that water out of your body. But that's not where men need to live. That's not where anyone needs to live the other 364 days a year. And remember, most people are not competitors. So if you want to be healthy and you want to be optimized, you need to have a nice balance. And your hormones are not something that a primary family physician can handle. Just like you wouldn't go to a dentist with a heart attack and you wouldn't go to a cardiologist with a brain tumor. This is not what they do. So the fact that they often try, they often end up doing more damage to their patient than good because when you do this protocol incorrectly, you're going to screw up the guy's physiological and psychological uh, well-being. So we, we have a lot of patients that come in and they say, oh, I've been on TRT for five years with my family doctor. I, it's not what I thought it was. And then we look at their protocol, we check their labs, and we say, this is, this is a disaster. This guy needs to be fixed ASAP. So the other thing that I think is sort of interesting in this discussion, and I know is funding a lot of studies on um, on human growth hormone and, and things of that nature. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because what it sounds like is a little different than what it is in practice, right? Um, and, and, and once again, I am not Mr. PED, right? I'm not in any of the forums that you're talking about. Um, I'm not that knowledgeable. That's the reason why you're on. So Take that away. I want to make a big distinction between PEDs and medicinal replacement therapy. Again, taking the medication, often the PED guys get it underground. Some guy in a kitchen or a bathtub is making this stuff. You don't know what's in it. You don't know if it's sterile. You don't know if the dosing is correct. You're basically trusting someone online who's essentially anonymous who takes Bitcoin to ship your medication or drugs in this case uh, that he brews himself. And you really don't know what, what it is you're putting in your body. So not something anyone uh, in their right mind is going to be able to condone or promote. But when you go into a clinic that understands what they're doing, and I put that with an asterisk because there's a lot of them out there that claim they do, and they really don't. And it's like in the industry, you're going to have the good with the bad. But when you go to a clinic that understands what they're doing or, or, or provided understands you know, how to manage this properly, um, this is not a PED. Again, this is a replacement for what you have lost. Okay. So... Uh, testosterone and human growth hormone, two very, very different things, okay? You need testosterone, okay? If you don't have testosterone as a man, you're going to wither away until you die, period. Now, a lowered state of testosterone is not something you're going to enjoy living with, but it's not going to kill you immediately, okay? These are hormones. These are not stimulants. These are not things that are going to make you drop dead in the blink of an eye. Um, if done wrong, they will have side effects that are not going to be very pleasant and may shorten your life on the back end. But when done right, they're actually going to extend your life and they're going to enhance the quality of your life. Human growth hormone is something that has become very popular, you know, as an anti-aging. Now, let me make one thing clear. The FDA does not recognize aging as a disease. They recognize it as a condition. They don't care if you get old. They don't care if you feel old. Okay. Uh, a lot of what is controlled in that aspect comes from the drug manufacturers and insurance companies. So there's a big political lobby that I try not to get involved with when it comes to treatment. And that is why most of the clinics like myself um, who, who want to treat the patient correctly and want to have 
want to be working for the patient, not for the insurance company. We don't accept insurance. And any good clinic, and I have a few colleagues in the industry uh, who are in the same page, there's no insurance coverage for this. But it, thankfully, it's extremely affordable, a couple hundred bucks. So at the end of the day, human growth hormone in the United States, not many people are going to write that prescription because it is used to treat children or adolescents with pituitary deficiency. And I'm talking about real human growth hormone. Okay? Brand name is uh, somatropin. And there are now peptides, and we do offer peptides at the clinic for guys that want to have the benefits of optimized growth hormone levels, improve their sleep quality, improve their body composition, hair, nails, skin, joints, recovery, uh, just a, a sense of well-being. Uh, but these peptides are significantly safer because growth hormone is essentially introducing an exogenous form of the hormone into your body. Not only is it suppressive to your own production, whereby you're going to become reliable on this, um, but it also can cause at certain levels and in certain people can cause type 2 diabetes. Because when you're constantly riding a high level of IGF-1, you're suppressing your insulin. Okay, because as you know, they're antagonistic to each other which is why it is often taken in a fasted state when we're, you know, in the absence of insulin. So while growth hormone is dangerous, if done incorrectly, it's also very, very expensive. I, I, I speak to guys all the time. They'll go to Mexico to buy it or they'll go to Europe to buy it because, like I said, it's not readily available in the States. Um, and these guys are spending $800 to $1,000 a month, you know, to have, you know, four to six IUs of growth hormone. Now, if you look at the professional bodybuilders, uh, you know, especially at the higher levels, guys are running 26 to 30 IUs a day. And you're thinking $1,000 for 100 IUs, this is a three-day supply for them. These guys are running $350 a day worth of growth hormone. Now, they have sponsors that, that are covering that cost, but who's going to cover $350 a day of treatment? So the peptides are nice and safe because all they do, okay, is they stimulate your body's endogenous growth hormone production. So they're only going to help you make more of your own. Your body's not going to self-sabotage. It's not going to make more than it can handle. And part of the treatment for that is a couple times a year we do labs specific to check serum levels for things that are common in cancers. So we monitor the liver. We monitor the prostate. We monitor the colon. Okay, so we constantly check the cancer markers because, as you know, IGF-1 at a high level will accelerate cancer. It won't cause cancer, but if cancer is already present, having elevated IGF-1 is, is not going to be your best friend. So talk to me about the peptides, because are these widely available? Is this something, and then what's the cost of stuff like this? So they're not widely available when you're talking about pharmaceutical grade. There's only a handful of pharmacies in the country that will carry them, because they are compounded, um, and they're essentially custom-developed by these compounding pharmacies. This is not something you get at Walgreens or CVS. Okay, so there's a couple of specialty pharmacies. We happen to have an account with two of them. Uh, one is the largest compounder in the US and the other is the largest specialty compounder, which literally carries almost every peptide on the market that is FDA approved. And what we do with those is we basically, like I said, we, we monitor the labs um, and we make sure that the first the person is a valid candidate for this. And secondly, we can have them shipped directly to the customer or patient's house. And then we educate them on how to utilize them. And then we monitor. So, so peptides essentially are significantly safer than hormones because like I said, all they're doing is they're stimulating your own production. They're turning on the faucet, so to speak. Okay, so if your body was the sink, the peptide is the faucet. It turns on, it fills the sink. It tells the sink, fill up, get full. It doesn't replace it. It's not kicking the sink out and replacing it with a new one. So you're not putting hormones into your body. You're, you're producing more of your very own. Number one, you're never suppressed. So you're not turned off. So when you decide if ever or whatever, you want to come off these peptides, you still have your own production going. Whereas if you suppress yourself long enough and your land or organ responsible for production of given hormones goes to sleep, there's no guarantee, especially as you age, that it's going to ever turn back on and produce any. So you may become dependent. Less Which is fast. Yeah. Not to interrupt you, but which is why people cycle on and off of testosterone, right? They do not when they're on replacement therapy, and there's a reason for that. So the whole cycle thing came about from steroids, right? Guys were running steroids, and just so you understand, testosterone in and of itself is a base. 
That is something that is needed. And the reason testosterone is coupled into most uh, steroid cycles is because any androgenic compound that you're going to put into your body, whether it be trembolone or nandrolone, or I mean, I'm not going to go through the names of the the you know the ones that guys have used that are not even considered human grade, but if you're going to put any of those in your body, they all act on the same receptors, your androgen receptors. So they're kind of fighting for the same the same activation switch, and the stronger ones are generally going to win and bind to that receptor. But when you do that, you're suppressing and shutting off your own testosterone production, which, as we already know, is really important for your well-being and your health. So testosterone is always used as a base in any of these performance cycles because you're not making any of your own anymore. But oftentimes, testosterone alone and in and of itself is one of the most uh, side effect-causing compounds out there when run at abusive doses. Give an example, TRT doses, most guys do very well at 100 milligrams a week, maybe 120 to 140 milligrams a week split into two. But bodybuilders often run testosterone at a minimum of five, 600 a week. I mean, I'm talking about that's like a beginner cycle. And then a lot of guys are running a thousand, you know, a gram to a gram and a half. I've seen two gram cycles. Some of the bigger guys running, you know, two and a half to three grams a week. You're talking about 30 times the medicinal dose. So naturally, again, it's, it would be like take a shot of vodka or take two bottles. It's going to be yeah, I, love, I love what you're saying there because I think that people are lumping everything in all at once. I will say even just as as the the ideal client for what you're talking about, um, a great example. So I went into my primary physician and we were doing blood work and I asked her, I was like, is it possible that I can get testosterone added on to the thing? And she's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just want to know my testosterone levels. And She's afraid that it's going to come back low, and she has no clue how to treat it. Yeah, and so I think I think that that was one of the things. So we're we're we're, I think what we've done up to this point is got to like the ten to twenty percent that is the extra stuff. And I wanted to get your opinion on the other eighty percent. But before we do that, like, can you give me some idea? on the cost of the peptides as an example if, if someone were looking for it how would they they find it that kind of thing um so again my, my clinic offers them um and it's important to note that it's because we understand what they are what they do how to manage them how to mitigate any potential risks and whatnot um all too often i find patients coming in and saying oh look i'm already on this 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 and then i look at the list and i'm like well, why would they give you this and this together? These are kind of antagonistic. These aren't synergistic peptides. These aren't hormones that kind of work. It makes no sense. And the answer is, well, I asked for him because my buddy does it, and he told me it's good. And these doctors are writing scripts, and it blows my mind how uneducated some, some of these providers or practitioners are. And yet here they are doing this, and they're screwing the guys up, and we're running their labs, and they're coming back all over the place. And remember, the reason they're walking in, in the first place, making an appointment, is because they're not feeling well. Okay, no patient's going to go out on his own and say, I need to do my blood work to figure out what's going on, nor would they understand what to test and how to read it. But they're coming in because they're not feeling right. And they were promised the silver bullet, and it's not what they're experiencing. So thankfully, we understand how to fix this. But all too often, guys are just taking the status quo because, well, my doctor said, and I had a patient uh, come in yesterday, and he was talking to uh, one of my providers, and then they called me in the room because, you know, wanted some feedback on it. The guy's been on TRT for 12 years. Guy's in his early 50s, went on around 40, 41, 12 years through an endocrinologist, and they gave him the same cookie-cutter approach that I see all too often. They're literally treating men. Look, hormones are so individualistic. Some of us were high producers in our youth. Some of us were not. You have alpha male personalities. You got guys who can grow a full beard, right? It's very easy to, to know who has higher testosterone levels naturally and who doesn't. And then they're treating everyone as a cookie cutter. Every guy gets the same dose, same frequency, same medication, same protocol. And it's like a, like, like a conveyor belt factory. And it drives me up a wall because you have to treat the person individually. Yes, it's more work. And yes, it's tedious, but this is what you signed up for. When someone comes to you for care, you have the responsibility of treating them like a human being, 
and making sure that that care is given appropriately. And when you're cookie-cuttering every single patient that comes through the door like a factory for the sake of volume, you're damaging people, and it gives the whole industry a bad rap. And I have people all the time, friends of mine who I grew up with, and I tell them, look, we're in our 40s. I've been on this for a couple of years, and it's changed everything about my life. I have, we have 25,000 patients in our group, okay? Why don't you come in? As a courtesy, let me run your labs. Let me explain to you what's going on. Oh, no, my, uh, my neighbor's been on this, and he says it's a roller coaster ride. And it's, I said, I understand that. But just because he's doing it wrong doesn't mean we're going to do it wrong. So please, let me, and people are so, you know, I think that partly they're egotistical about getting checked because they're afraid of what the result may say. Okay, it's like, well, if I don't know, then I could just say, okay, sell myself and why I never got treated. And then if it comes back really low, now I'm going to have anxiety over it because I don't know what to do. But a lot of it is is just kind of sitting there and guess what? You don't have to suffer. And the women are suffering. The women are suffering because the guys aren't paying them any attention. Women tend to peak 35 to 45 years old. Guys are peaking in their, in their puberty, you know, into their 20s, and they start to go downhill. And then when you got this couples together 15 to 20 years, and they're in their 40s, and the guy wants to lay on the couch, watch baseball, and pass out at 6 p.m., and he's going to blame work, stress, and everything else, it's his hormone level. But he's too proud to go and get checked out. And then the woman is suffering, and they get fra- I see it all the time in couples. I, we got women dragging their husbands in by the wrist, and the husband says, I don't need this. I'm good. I'm good. She says, no, you're not. You're getting in there, and you're getting checked out. And then it comes back, and thankfully, the ones that are open-minded, we fix it. And then three months later, we got the woman coming in with a box of cookies, saying, I just wanted to say thanks. So I wanted to get back to the one thing and then and then move on to what will ultimately be the thing that we close it with. But I know that in the case of IGF-1 is very expensive, right? Um, the peptides, you don't have to get specific on cost because I know oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I diverted from that. So IGF-1. Yeah, so the, 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 the common peptides that I like, there are two. One is a GHRP, one is a GHRH. What that is is a, it's a growth hormone releasing peptide and a growth hormone releasing hormone. They are synergistic, they pulse IGF-1, maximizing their own growth hormone production. Uh, we have our pharmacy compounds both together, so it's easy to administer and easy to adhere to. On average, when you look at the program, I know from us, for example, that is gonna supply you for a full month of this protocol with all of your supplies needed and whatnot, including the proper testing, the proper management, and the proper oversight and unlimited consultations, phone calls, et cetera, that full concierge package on average, depending on the dosing, is going to run between $299 and $399 a month. Now, understand growth hormone therapy is a luxury. It is not something that you must have. Testosterone is something that you must have if you're deficient, and most guys are deficient, especially over a certain age. Um, Growth hormone is more of that luxury, right? It's like, look, you need a car to get to work. You can get a Toyota Camry or a Honda Accord. You want to get the Escalade, you're going to pay for it, but you don't need it. But you do need a car. So that's the difference between testosterone and growth hormone. One is an anti-aging, uh, you know, enhancing field type of a deal. The other one is like, look, I need this to live. You know, you're saying so many interesting things because as – a man, I'm fully admitting to you that that I've had these thoughts, right? And I probably have had the issues, but you know, there's a prideful thing there. There's an ego thing that that comes into play. You, I think you're 42, right? Yeah, 42. I'm 50, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit longer, but you have me intrigued because I, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I've seen through our social circle, you know, people, you know, within testosterone groups and things of this nature. And it just always scares me because I don't know what it's like. I would 100% go with a clinic like yours because I would want to do it the right way. And I do agree with you that general practitioners, maybe even endocrinologists, might not have the level of expertise that someone that's going to do it every single day and then that's their expertise. So we don't have you for too much longer. So I wanted to, so I feel like a lot of the discussion that we just had was about 
the 10 to 15 percent that you would do in the case where things are going the wrong way i would say 85 to 90 percent we control workouts through lifestyle factors through sleep through the foods that we're eating so so let's talk about that a little bit because i would love to really get into kind of like your um well one of the things i really like about you is i was fully expecting after your contest prep you know to you become chicken and broccoli guy or chicken and kale guy um and you didn't right um and and i know that there's probably a little bit of i mean i see people responding to you on social media like come on dude you're going overboard you know things like this um the simple fact of the matter is is that a lot of the way that we get testosterone will come from food, will come from the way that we work out, things of this nature. And I don't know it as well as you do. So give me the general spiel there. And and if you feel a need to kind of give a reason why, you know, coming out of a contest, you just mentally have to have the freedom of, of going to the steakhouse and, and things of that nature. So give us the, the so first, I know, I know you've seen my destructive path over the last two weeks. Um, so for me, this particular year, okay, there is something called reverse dieting. Okay. You diet to lose and then you can reverse diet to kind of neutralize slash start putting back in what you've been depleted of because uh, getting on stage is a depletion process. You're losing water, you're losing glycogen, you're losing everything just so you could be lean and dry for one day. Uh, it is a grueling mental, uh, emotional, psychological, and physical process. It, it, it sucks, to put it plain and simple. Um, I was supposed to compete back in April, and I had a lot going on with business, and I just moved into this state a year ago, and we were still kind of moving things around. It was, just, it was just a very busy year for me. Now, I'm not one to make excuses. I own it. I own everything that I do. Uh, I deserve everything that comes upon me. Um, I'm, I'm the last person, as you know, to ever point a finger at anything outside of myself uh, for shortcomings or successes. It is all me. I'm in full control of everything. So with that prefaced, um, the fact that I wasn't prepped already in April is 100% my fault. And it was because my head wasn't in the game. Uh, I was going to potentially do a local show or regional show in June. Again, I wasn't ready. Had a conversation with my coach about that. And when I say my coach, understand everyone needs a coach. It's not necessarily for the knowledge, it's to keep me accountable. Very easy to cheat on yourself, not very easy to cheat on someone who entrusts you and gives you their time and knowledge, right? So my coach said, why don't we just shoot for nationals and just prep for that in uh, late July, and that's, and excuse me, mid-July, and that's what we did. So I was kind of on prep, but not really, for probably almost six months. And that is a long time to suffer through a diet um, it's usually 12 to 16 weeks for many. I can generally prep in eight weeks. I happen to lean out fairly quickly when I do it correctly. Um, when I really started to prep for the national, I had a little catch-up work to do because I was kind of messing around a little bit, uh, you know, early summer. So I had to like really buckle down and double down on my, my nutrition. And, uh, I was messing with my macros big time. I was pretty much eating white fish and asparagus six times a day. And let me tell you, I couldn't get, I would go to the gym, barely grind for a workout, come home, stay, I, I spent the last two weeks in bed. I couldn't be around people. Um, my wife wanted to kick me out of the house just because I was so irritable, legit story, she can vouch for that. Um, and she said, you know, don't talk to me until after your show because you just can't be around. It was, it was terrible. It was legit terrible. Um, this was a rebound effect and I said I was going to do it. I said, wait until the, the show is over. I'm going on a binging spree and that's okay. It's been two weeks. I'm up about 17 pounds. A lot of it is water. Okay. Fat, as you know, takes a lot of time to, uh, metabolize. Um, you know, lipogenesis is not something that happens overnight. So it's a lot of water and bloat and inflammation from glycogen and carbs and all that stuff. Cause I've been depleted and that's okay. I'm not here to be aesthetic at this point. Okay. I'm here to enjoy what I've been deprived of. I just need to stop you one second because at your lowest body fat percentage, what was it? Do you remember? It's really hard to measure accurately, but I use the mirror at this point. Visually, I would guess on stage I was probably at about five, five, maybe six percent. So, I, what I need everybody to hear, um, and what's funny is there's a picture that's attached to this, this, um, your appearance for this group, right? 
And in that picture, I believe you were like 8%, right? Something in that name. That neighborhood that was a few days out. That was my peak week. It was probably three, four days out from the show. And at that point, I was depleting pretty hard, so I kept going. And what, once, you know, once you, what I, what I don't think people realize is that the depleted look is not that full look, right? It's not that look that is um, you would want on the beach, yeah. right? You want your muscles full on the beach and things of this nature. And I, I think that um, I think what you're describing, you know, one 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 friend of mine said, good luck getting into bodybuilding. He was just talking to someone else. Bodybuilding is not really something that, that really interests me all that much. But um, but the science of bodybuilding does. When you say reverse dieting, the core of each reform is that there are reverse periods. There is no just eat at a low amount and then stay at the same weight and then you're fine. You have to view food as an ally the good majority of the time. And I know that's something that both you and I believe in. Remember, your insulin sensitivity is so elevated after a period of depletion like this that the minute you introduce carbs back in, especially the way I did it this year, which is at a heavy level, you're going to suck that right up. I mean, I was like a water buffalo the next morning. It's so funny. You say water buffalo. Now, the one picture that you posted right afterwards with the gigantic belly after you, you know, ate 15,000 calories or whatever, um, that was different. But literally two days later, you posted a picture where I know you think of yourself as bloated and things of this nature. This is the the after most people are looking for. <laughs> and I think that that's important for people to understand that you're holding yourself to a higher standard than the normal person. You, you said to me the other day, which I thought was really brilliant, is that the best guy on the beach comes in eighth at a physique show, right? And this is what I don't think people know. I don't think when they start to go down this path, and we don't really have enough time to get into kind of the female side of things, but in, in especially in the case of, of women, you know, it, ends up being maybe even more destructive than it does for, for, for men for a lot of reasons. But, but let's get, because we, we're really short on time, and so I want to I get this from you. In terms of food, right, in terms of exercise, what can people do naturally, right, that would make a really big difference for them? So looking at the three things I mentioned before, the, the, the training, the fuel or nutrition, and then the biochemistry, I would put them in that order, training, nutrition, biochemistry. And I know people are going to be surprised to hear that because everyone loves to throw around the, well, your nutrition is 80%, your training's 20 It isn't. Because you can eat what you consider to be perfect, lay on the couch and really get nowhere. You can train and kind of half-ass your diet and still make progress. Your training must, must be on point, must be on point. I mean, you go 100% every single day. And yes, you do need rest days, especially if you're natural. Um, you do need recovery. Look, you don't make progress in the gym. You make progress when you recover. You need quality sleep. Sleep is the single, single most important component to life, period, period. Okay? Uh, it's responsible for everything. It's responsible for muscle growth, fat burn, recovery, energy, hormones, everything. Everything happens when you're sleeping. Okay? So, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. But training, resistance training, especially ladies. Ladies, you're going to lose muscle mass. That is your engine, okay? If you think as calories or fat storage, as stored energy, that's your gas tank. Unlike a vehicle that we want something efficient that doesn't burn a lot of gas, you want to be a non-efficient machine. You want to burn a lot of fuel at rest. When you're idling or you're laying on the couch, you're watching Netflix, you want to burn fat. The only way you're going to do that is be that twin-turbo V8 motor, not a four-cylinder. Build muscle. You will not get bulky. Overeating in energy balance will make you bulky in the terms of fat. Fat is fluffy. I have to interrupt you there because there's so many people that come to me and say, I put on muscle easy. And what they're actually saying is they put on weight easy. Yeah. yeah. You put on muscle easy. Physiologically, that's not possible. So no. keep going. I need to muscle, be if you, if you, Look, 
for a natural athlete, if you can gain a half a pound a month in muscle, you're doing well. If, you, if you're putting on five pounds a year of beef, legit muscle, you're doing well. For an enhanced athlete, if you could put on a pound a month, you're doing well. So for someone to tell me I put on 20 pounds in the last year, you're talking about fat, water, and maybe three to four pounds of muscle, okay? So no, you don't gain easily. You're just overeating the wrong foods. So when I talk about my pounds gained, that was over 12 years, right? Well, I went from a lean, and I see, I can compare stage weight to stage weight when I am dry, lean, water depleted. Last year, on stage in May, I weighed. Now, just mind you, off season, I walk around 210 to 215. I'm six foot one. Um, I still maintain my waist, you know, even off season, 33 or so on stage, probably like a 30, 31. But I was on stage last year at 186. I was on stage this year at 193. Wow. Okay. Seven pounds. Seven pounds of muscle. I'm not a natural athlete. I am on testosterone replacement therapy and a low dose growth hormone. Okay. This is with intent. This is someone who has a competitive mindset. This is someone who eats for the purpose, not for emotion. I eat for purpose. Okay. My food is my fuel. It is not an emotional relationship. Most people, it's quite the opposite. And I am in the gym seven days a week. It doesn't mean I'm lifting seven days, but I am, I am doing something to better my body seven days a week. And I gain seven pounds. Give me, an, give me an example, because I think that a lot of people will think that, oh, this guy talking, he's in the gym. This dude's got, he owns a gym, he, he, he heads a clinic, right? He's got a lot of things going on. I don't life. train in my own gym. Let me preface that. I go to a buddy's gym over here. I do not train in my own gym because I can't get a workout in. Yeah, so so give me an example. We're 45 minutes to an hour, seven days a week. Off season, I, I and again, this is not what I'm telling people to do, but you're asking about me specifically. Off season, I enjoy my gym time because that's when the headphones go on and that's my own, that's my meditation. I've got a wife and two kids, uh, three businesses, and I am busy morning till night. I This is my break. This is my, this is my peace of mind. This is my mental escape. I will spend two hours in the gym in the off season when I'm carved up. I have my glycogen and I have my energy and I get good pumps and I enjoy it. And yes, I do socialize in, in between my sets because I know a lot of the guys there. Um, in prep, if I can bear through 45 minutes, I'm lucky because I'm I'm dragging ass. Right. I could barely walk without being hypoglycemic when I'm when I'm in that stage. So in prep is very different. But off season, I will I will go and make that two hour social, you know, environment. Okay, gotcha. Um, okay, so let's end on this note um, because I. You know, I know when you uh, are using testosterone, it's much easier to go relatively low in fat. But in terms of food, right, what foods would you suggest to eat or where are you getting your testosterone from with food? I know the answer, but I want you to say it's very, very difficult for people to elevate natural testosterone levels. It's more so where you can sabotage your testosterone. So Great eating point. like crap is actually going to suppress you. It's not necessarily to say that if you're low and you're already leading a quality lifestyle, that you're going to elevate your levels to a significant amount um, just by doing a little bit better. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time to get into the biochemistry, but there's something called SHBG, and I encourage everyone to Google that. It's called sex hormone binding globulin. It's a protein in your blood together with albumin, which is not really something you can affect much change to. But SHBG is what binds your testosterone and renders it useless. An analogy I often give patients at the clinic is when they say, oh, my total testosterone is, is great. It's right in the mid-range of normal, and I tell them, you have to understand um, that your your physician ran your total testosterone, but that's like saying you have 100 million in a bank account, but you can't touch it until you're 80 years old. So you're rich on paper, but you have no money to use. So all I care about is your free testosterone. How much is bioavailable for your body to actually utilize? What is not bound by SHBG? And often it should be about 2%, but when guys have very elevated SHBG, and some causes of elevation are age, number one, surprise, right? Fatty liver, Alcohol use, drug use, alcohol, improper diet. 
alcohol use is is a big one. I well, mean, man. people aren't honest with with themselves about that. No. You know? And as I said before, I'm very selective when I do one on one coaching. I don't allow my athletes while they're being coached by me to use alcohol at all. So anyone who thinks I'm reaching out for potential coaching, if you're not going to give up your Friday night glass of wine for the period that we're together, please don't. Please don't. Uh, please don't even bother because I'm not going to take you on. Um, I only coach people who are extremely serious. I won't work with more than two or three people per month. And and they are, excuse me, the phone. And they are heavily screened. Every single podcast, like right at the really? I'm going to rip it off the wall. All right. Um, alcohol, I don't care what you read. I don't care what the news tells you about red wine. No, it's not good for you, period. The the downsides greatly outweigh the benefits. Do it. You're an adult. You don't. You literally just posted a picture of you drinking red wine yesterday. That's what I think that people don't realize that in the reverse dieting period, in the period where you're normalizing your calories, now life becomes much more free, right? Right. But Paul, I, understand, I haven't had alcohol in two years. Two yeah. years, not a sip. So I am responsible. Look. I tell people, you're an adult, you make your own decision. People try to negotiate with me, and that's the funniest thing. Like, I have a magic wand to change biochemistry. It's like, okay, you get a free pass. This glass won't count. Look, you do what you want because you're an adult, and you're free to do what you want with your body. My job is to tell you what's going to happen, and that is not going to change. These are scientific facts. This is what's going to happen in your body when you consume X, Y, and Z. Now, you have the information. Go ahead and make an informed decision. What's more important? my Friday night bar with my girlfriends so that I can enjoy my drink. Great. Be honest with yourself, but understand that when you don't hit your goals, you know why. Okay. So don't point a finger at other circumstances when you self-sabotage. And I am responsible for the fact that yes, I went out and I had a glass and I'm okay with that because again, right now I am to me, and I know you're going to laugh at this. I'm destroying my body. I'm destroying my physique. It doesn't mean I can't get it back in a month if I wanted to because I know how to, but I am okay with looking 80% of where I know I can be today at this very moment because my season is over. And to a lot of people, I still look, like you said earlier, when I posted that picture and I said I look I look terrible, and that's the difference between a gym goer and a competitor is the mindset. We hold ourselves to the standard that most people can't understand. It's a perfectionism type of a mindset. So... It's not well, something people relate to. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, what I what I didn't finish earlier was that bodybuilding is the, literally the hardest sport you could possibly get into. It's not financially rewarding for most people, and then you're you're asked to sacrifice food. So that that was the comment that um, I meant to get out earlier. Um, I think the way you described it was perfect. What I was going to suggest though is that having you know healthy fats in your diet when you look at um you know the the fish oil movement and things of this nature a lot of these things came from bodybuilding right where um they were the first people doing this type of stuff when you look at the genesis of each perform you know it led me on this path to all these phds that were bodybuilding right mm -hmm. and so if you're looking at testosterone, I think the way that you're describing it is more as preserving testosterone. But if you're too fat, too low fat, too long, right? You're going to fuck with your hormone profile, right? And so that's something I think a lot of people want to consider. Yeah, your cholesterol is metabolized from fats, and as we know, cholesterol is the mother of all sex hormones. And that's another problem: is statins are so overprescribed in this country where people's testosterone levels are destroyed by dropping their cholesterol levels, essentially, to nil, um, under the false guise of, oh, if your total is over 200, you're high, and no one's checking their HDL to total ratio. And it's just, again, this is all part of that political agenda of, uh, of the pharmaceutical industry, all part of that insurance uh, gig that's going on. We don't get involved in that. Um, yeah. Paul, is that okay if I uh, shout out my uh, the, the website? Go right ahead. Let, okay. let everybody know where to reach you. All right. So when it comes to uh, men or women looking to bring their men in, uh, my clinic is Elevate Men's Clinic. We're located in Persippany, New Jersey. Uh, you can find a, a link at 
fixlowtnow.com. It's www.fixlowtnow.com. As far as me personally, nextleveldietetics.com um, is my personal coaching page. Um, unlike Paul that does uh, phenomenal work with uh, nutrition for many, 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 many people, I will only work with two to three per month on a significantly more, I guess you want to call it premium level, if you will, but it is for the significantly, significantly dedicated because we're going to tackle blood work, we're going to tackle nutrition, we're going to ta tackle training. Uh, so it's more of a, uh, not necessarily just competitors, but anyone that wants to look their best on the beach this season. Uh, I, I, I run eight-week protocols where it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, and you can reach me there. It's nextleveldietetics.com. All right. Well, that was great. We actually could get into a lot more stuff. Actually, previous to getting on the podcast, we brought up a few things that I think would have been great for the podcast that, of course, didn't make it. So we'll maybe have you on at some other point because I think that, you know, what you're describing here lives behind this dark curtain, right? And it, I think you, the way that you describe it related to one glass of wine compared to three bottles of vodka, I, I hope that puts it into perspective because I think that when we look at overall health, this can be part of the answer. And, and as someone that really is not super knowledgeable as it relates to things, I liked your clarification of even the way that I thought and it gave me perspective on it. So I appreciate you doing that and I appreciate you doing this. So uh, you go pick up your daughter and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate the time. Bye, sir.